We're recording there. We're recording there. So. <clears throat> getting stretched and settled in for a good hour here. Getting Ooh. prepared. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's Yawa. You ask and we answer as always. Thank you for all your great questions. There's definitely no way, again, that we're going to get to them all, but we're going to try our best to get through as many as we can so that we can answer as many as we can. (laughs) If this is your first time to the channel, guys, definitely hit that subscribe button below, turn on notifications, and hit the like button just because that was funny. What was funny? You giggle fit yourself. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't funny. Hit the like button anyway. Oh, the like button. For the video. Right, mm-hmm. right. Let's get started because our intro sucked this time. From Remy and Riggs. Hit the like button for the sucky intro. <laughs> Remy and Riggs mm. on Instagram. Remy my, and Riggs? My husband wants my five year old to be involved with the initial training process of our new puppy. What is your take on your child toddler helping train the new puppy? Should they be involved with the training from the beginning or do they get involved once the puppy dog is understanding the commands? I think realistically, you're going to be better off uh, in both situations if you help your five-year-old handle the puppy that already understands what you're asking. Um, Could they learn and do a good job teaching? Yes, but timing is very important. And when you're trying to explain to the five-year-old how to have the proper timing and then helping teach the puppy. I think you could end up with some confusion issues, but um, definitely incorporating the entire family is a huge, 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 huge part of having a very consistent and um, easy training process and a dog that kind of respects and understands that everybody means business and everybody's part of that, including your five-year-old. We're going through that a little bit with Aiden right now, even though he's not five, he's not helping with training. But what he is doing is learning how to interact with the puppy because Thunder likes to play with him and jump on him and mess with him a little bit. And he's learning when Thunder has bothered him too much. He says, no, no, and pushes him down, you know, so it's, we've taught him that well enough. And And if he lays down on the ground and is rolling around with Thunder, we tell him, stand up, buddy, stand up so that he doesn't instigate that puppy play mentality even more with Thunder. Yep. Definitely incorporating the children, and in your case, the five-year-old, into the the training situation is good. I think that uh, having him do a few reps with things the puppy already knows is a better option, though. Yeah, and just having your five-year-old understand what the expectations are will make that easier for your five-year-old to understand how they can and can't interact with a puppy, which will just make everyone's life a little bit easier. Aiden also helps feed the dogs um, and knows that he can't necessarily give the puppy his toys or he's not supposed to. So those are all expectations that we say, no, those are not the puppy's toys. These are the puppy's toys so that they can have an understanding of what is acceptable behavior with that puppy. Absolutely. So good question. What do we got next? This one is from William Francis underscore on Instagram. How do you guys train to load up in the truck? 10 month old wine won't jump into my truck. Well, I wanted to ask this question or answer this question because we actually have a video on our YouTube channel about how you can do that progression of teaching a dog to load up in a truck. Typically, they just need to understand that they are physically capable of jumping up into the back of a truck. A 10-year-old, a 10-month-old puppy is definitely capable of that physically. more, More than enough capable. Yeah. and Unless it's some kind of like little midget dog. It's a a Weimaraner, so no. Yeah, but then maybe it's like a pocket lime. Even then. It can do it. Uh, But we start by place training. Place training is a huge part of this behavior and understanding the behavior of when I tell you kennel, that means any place that I want you to go and I'm showing you to go, whether that's your crate, your dog bed, a place board, a climb stand, the back of the truck. So when you're saying kennel and you're wanting them to go in the back of the truck, you can actually make transitions where you have a climb stand or some other kind of platform where they can hop up onto the climb, which makes a a transition from 
all the way to the ground to the back of the truck and they can do it in like a stair step men- method. And then you can take that away. Those climb stands, we have them on our website, but they're really nice too, because you can have different height legs. So it can be a gradual process of getting your dog comfortable with making that leap of faith, if you will, when the stand is at its highest, and then you can take it down to the next level of legs and then all the way to the ground and then just get rid of the climb stand altogether. Yeah. And another option, uh, that I've seen work pretty well would be to like back your pickup truck up to the edge of a hill or into a ditch kind of deal where you end up having the tailgate coming and it drops lower with that. But yeah, so it's not quite as big of a hop. You're um, making that that gradual leap basically there with Yeah, because you can definitely around. go the opposite extreme if you're back up and your front end of your truck is down the hill, the rear end of your truck and that tailgate is going to be yes. even higher. Yeah. And so the smaller steps and the easier the transition that we can make for our dogs, the easier they're going to understand what we're asking, the more comfortable they're going to feel. And once they get more comfortable and confident, that process is going to go a lot smoother. Yeah. We don't really have a hill option here that would work for that. So we always just use the, the climb stands. Yep. This is also another really great question from Instagram from Waza0508. Waza. (laughs) Maybe. Can a two-year-old GSP raised in a kennel and pack environment adjust to living in the home? Waza. (laughs) I'm going to stop using the Instagram handles because Ethan just can't handle it. Mm. 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 What was the question again? (laughs) I told you. Can a two-year-old GSP that's been in the kennel or a pack environment be part of the family? Like, can they learn to be part of the home? 100%. 100% they can. Uh, dogs are, are home where they're at. And you would have to start that process just the same as you would a new puppy that you're introducing right. to your house. They don't know anything. And uh, a couple things that you have going for you and a couple things you have going against you would be, one, they haven't learned any bad house manners yet. Um, they also should have bladder control. So the potty training process, once you teach them where to go, should be easier. Uh, now, fully expect that there'd be the potential that that two-year-old dog would come in and pee on the floor because they they don't know any better. But they have bladder control, and as soon as you start teaching them the expectations, they learn it uh, pretty drastically quicker. Um, on top of that, um, it just involves just involves showing them yeah. what the expectation is. I mean, you've got a two-year-old adult dog that's got bladder control and is Mentally. mentally mature and ready for training. So even just teaching them, you could bell train these dogs where they go to the door to ring the bell before they go out to go to the bathroom. And then they can tell you when they, they need to go out yeah, by ringing the pee. bell, as well as like we said, they've got bladder control. So you can not have to worry about maybe setting your timer every 15 minutes, like with a puppy, uh, maybe at first, but that'll change very quickly on, Hey, look, we go to this store, we go out, we go potty. Other than that, the potty training side of things with a kennel dog, if you will, they are almost easier in the house because they're like, whoa. A little overwhelmed. This place is awesome. There's soft couches to lay on or dog beds. There's all these people and giving me attention and love and extra treats. So it really can, these dogs can be very appreciative and very much blend into the family super easily uh, even if they're part of a pack or a kennel situation beforehand. On top of not knowing any of the bad habits yet, they haven't had an opportunity to learn where the garbage is or to learn how, how to, to chew up shoes. counter surf or <laughs> that shoes are an exciting thing. You know, I mean, most of those problems develop during puppy stages. So yeah. puppy stage is over. Um, just have puppy-like expectations and the process should go pretty easily. So these are two new questions mm-hmm. by two different people. That are very similar on Instagram. So I was like, hey, obviously this is a theme, so it should be addressed in this next Yawa. Got it. The first question is from Slade38. How to train a puppy when they are not food motivated and are not even eating the daily minimums suggested? Hmm. The next question was from Dietrike36. My dog stopped getting excited about eating her food. She just eats every once in a while now. So I thought that those were very similar questions and very much relatable uh, to each other. And something that we have talked about in other videos and have mentioned 
how important it is to build food drive and food motivation in our dogs because that makes them much easier to train. A dog that's food motivated is willing to work for something like their food, their meal. So it just makes that training process really easy. 100%. So what happens, we see a lot of times with people, they have a puppy and they feed them their bowl of food and the puppy's super distracted because that's what puppies are. And they pick at it and then they wander away and then they pick at it and then they wander away. And then you're coaxing them back. Come on, puppy, puppy here, finish your meal. And then they eat a couple more kibbles and then they're bouncing away. And it takes them like 15, 20 minutes to finish this bowl of food. If they even finish the bowl of food. And we try and put more emphasis on First, using their kibble for their meals most of the time where they are working for each kibble or each handful of kibble, and it keeps them very focused on the task at hand, as well as if they start losing focus, then they're done eating for the for that meal. Yeah, this is something that we actually saw with Thunder in one or two meals here most recently. Um, he got his jackpot at the end of the meal, which was just the remaining half of his food approximately in the bowl, and he only ate, I don't know, a little bit of it, left a portion of that. And we just pick that up and then say, okay, next meal, you're going to be maybe a little hungrier. And he definitely was. And from that point forward has been way more focused, way more focused to eat. So, and I, and I modified my training just a little bit where I wasn't even doing jackpots or I was leaving a smaller amount of the jackpot mm-hmm. at the end where he was having to work for more of his meal. Now I will say We've had a few dogs, um, and by few, I mean very few, I can think of one, that was pickier about eating. And um, she would skip meals on occasion or be a little hit and miss. And you're talking about Vino. Yeah. Yep. But even Vino, when we were training and working for her meal and keeping her focused, she worked for everything. It was if I put her bowl of food down in her crate, she'd be like, Meh, I'll eat a few bites and then maybe I'll just leave it and then it'll be there for me later. Well, I'm like, that's not how it works in our household, girlfriend. If you're not going to eat it when it's offered, it's taken away and you get an opportunity at dinner. Yeah. So all of that being said, most of the time when we see dogs that are not food motivated, typically, and I'm not saying this is the case with your dogs, but typically the dogs are overweight. So- now, they did mention that their puppy's not even eating the minimum recommended amount, which not necessarily knowing how much you're feeding or what you're feeding. Sometimes the bags, you know, on the recommended feeding, we adjust what we feed based on even those recommendations because sometimes they need less, sometimes they need more, and it's more about body condition. Yes, it is about body condition. But the key to that that we don't want to overlook is that those minimum amounts are what's designed to get the dog the proper nutrients as far as calories and then vitamins and minerals. So if your dog's not eating the minimum amount, we need to probably look into this sooner rather than later so that you don't have any kind of deficiency during development. Um, Or deficiency anytime would be bad, but deficiency during development would be even worse. So this would be a good one to um, either, you can reach out to us, patreon.com slash standingstonekennels, where you can post some videos and or pictures of your dog's body condition and then show training sessions so that we can see what this lack of desire to eat looks like. Or um, if you've got a vet that you trust, reach out to them and say, hey, my dog's not eating. I will tell you from a training standpoint, we're probably a better resource than your your veterinarian. Um, But when it comes down to actual injuries and surgeries and things, that would be definitely the one that I wouldn't want to see. Hey, I think my dog's leg's broken. Uh, What do you guys think on a Yawa question? All right, guys, take that dog to the vet. Um, this is definitely a, a training slash behavioral thing that we could probably help you with really well. Um, again, that's patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. So here's another question from Instagram from Lang C 91. Maybe it's G Lang C 91. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Recommendations for exercise when it's raining and hard to play outside. This one's super easy. Okay. So easy, it just might work. Uh, Treadmill training can be a really good one as far as physical exercise goes because it also challenges the dogs mentally. They have to be able to mentally focus on the treadmill. Now, there are two different options, and it kind of depends on the personality of your dog. You can actually get a dog specific motorized powered treadmill. 
designed to be set at a speed and help the dog to stay at that constant speed. If you have a dog that loves to work and run and all of those other things, you can get into either carpet mills or slat mills. Slat mills um, are dog-powered, as are carpet mills, and the um, you know they kind of encourage themselves to continue running, and they completely power everything. The dogs that love to work love those. I will say slat mills take up a huge amount of space. Carpet mills fold up and fold down usually pretty easily, and those can be a good option that, again, they're they're 100% dog-powered, so it's a carpet-like material that the dog can run, and as they run, it powers this treadmill-type motion so they can run in place. Um, If you have a dog that's pretty lazy, uh, the powered treadmills, and we actually utilize a... Oh, I think we paid maybe 50 bucks for it. I don't even know. It's been garage sale special. Um, And that treadmill's worked for a very long time. And that would be an option too. We, once this one craps out, or maybe slightly before, we're going to look into the potential of an actual dog specific one because they do ultimately work better for dogs than uh, a human treadmill jerry rigged for dogs. And then I'm looking at the potential of getting another carpet mill here to be able to utilize for the dogs that love to run that way. So, And just one thing, because you didn't really mention the age of your dog, you do mm. want to be a little bit cautious about hooking your dog up to any kind of harness or on a treadmill or definitely a carpet mill or a slat mill when they're in those young development stages with their shoulders and joints and things like that. True you don't want to over overdo it at that age. But if your dog's older and fully mature and they're, you know, kind of done growing, this is a really good option. Um, next question from Andrew underscore Heine on Instagram. And this is an interesting one because it happens a lot when clients come to pick up their dogs and then we have to work through that with them. If a dog puts himself on place, do you still make him wait to be released? Ah, great question. Uh, I'm going to go with no. If the expectation, if the, if the behavior has not been asked for, they're kind of free to come and go as they please. And I like it that my dogs are so comfortable to get on their dog bed and happy to be there that they'll just do it. But again, like Ethan said, we're not going to continue holding them to that when they haven't been asked or told to be there. Uh, the reason that I mentioned that happens a lot in puppy dog send homes and things like that when the clients come to pick up their dogs is we put a ton of emphasis on obedience while they're here for training. Absolutely. And we get to, we put so many repetitions and so much conditioning on place training that it almost becomes the default, especially in this environment, this training environment. So a dog is out interacting with their family. We stop to explain something to their family for a minute. You turn around, there's a dog bed on the ground and the dog is now on the dog bed. And they're like, well, I didn't even ask them to. Well, we've done so much conditioning and so much repping and made them understand that being on a dog bed is a really good thing that they're just like, oh, there's a dog bed. I should probably just go hop on that because it's a good thing to do. And, and then they're like, well, do I need to keep them there? So if they step off, then I'm telling them to go back on. And I always say, like Ethan said, no, we don't need to hold them there. Uh, they've put them themselves on. They can take themselves off. So they are. That's a really good question. Yeah. You're free to go, but you're welcome to stay. So this next question is from Ashley underscore Cruz on Instagram. And I'm not sure how old they are, but it sounds like um, they may be younger because they said, I'm planning on getting a first personal GSP puppy. I've grown up with them my whole life and it's the only dog I've ever heard. And I love them so much. I'm ready to get my own and do the training myself. I want to have the dog sleep in a crate at night until they are potty trained. But once the puppy gets big, I won't have enough space in my room for a larger crate. Should I start the puppy off in my room until he grows um, out of the smaller crate or just start him off in the room that he will eventually be in when he needs a large crate? I'm worried if he is not in my room at night, I won't know when he cries and needs to be let out at night. Thank you. It's a great question. And uh, one that has multiple facets of answers. So this is one I think that uh, is going to be different for every dog. Some dogs are going to do best closer to you. Other dogs are going to do best kind of in their own space. And 
Um, there's a fine line with that puppy training development that, or potty training development with a puppy, that you kind of have to bridge the gap between do we still need overnight letouts or are we just crying because we want overnight letouts because we woke up? And it becomes those first few nights, but typically within the first week, you should be able to gravitate to um, from maybe one or two letouts in the middle of the night to zero letouts um, by the end of that first week is typically what we're going to see. Um, it's the other side of it is I would try the puppy in its own space or for the first night near you, but either way, you're going to hear some crying. It's going to happen. And once you've had a few reps and you know the puppy's been out and pottied and done all of the things, it's going to be better off to let them cry it out, even if that means a little bit of a sleepless night for you for the first night or so. Um, it'll be better off for them to figure that out, especially once you know they've had the opportunity to go to the bathroom and can hold it. And that leads us into our next question from N. Nistler on Instagram. This person is a saint. <laughs> Drake is a six-month male GSP. He wakes up most nights at 2 or 3 a.m., I usually let him out to potty, then put him back to bed, but he keeps crying and I let him cry for about 15 to 20 minutes before letting him out again. I avoid getting him immediately after he has already gone potty to let him cry it out. We have two little kids, three years old and a year old, and some nights Drake wakes them up. Oof. Drake is in his crate downstairs. He gets about a two mile evening walk before he goes to bed at nine o'clock. He eats at 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. He gets about three to six miles of walks in a day. During the day, he is out back with the kids and my wife while I try to stay awake at work. Thanks, Ethan and Kat. It's grinding me down. Well, well I can imagine. I, I would say, you spent four months at this. Yes. That's why I said you're a saint. Um, so a couple of things. I very much appreciate you giving us a lot more detail about kind of his day-to-day because that would have been one of the first things that I would have had to ask you is, what does his day look like? What kind of a routine is he getting? Um, it sounds like he's getting a fair amount of exercise with being out in the backyard and getting, you know, a two mile evening walk before he goes to bed and three to six miles of walks during the day. However, he's six months old and that's typically a time where we, and you're feeding him also, I wanted to mention plenty early enough that he's getting his peeing and pooping done before he needs to go to bed. Yeah. So you are doing all of the things right. Um, the only thing that I would mention is usually by six months old, we are recommending dogs are ready for, especially dogs that are more bold and confident. And it sounds like persistent, like your dog are ready for more formal training. They need a challenge and it's not just physically challenging. They need mental stimulation, a mental challenge, more formal training where it comes to obedience, things from collar conditioning to recall, collar conditioning to place, uh, healing work, all of these things that can help mentally drain your dog. Um, however, you're also keep in mind, you're going to be working against these habits you've been creating over the last four months. If your dog has yeah. gotten up between two and 3 AM for four months, it's gonna be tough. this is his norm. Now he's like, well, this is how my day goes. This is normal. This is my life. And then I get out maybe one more time because I cry for 15 or 20 minutes and I get out again. I know he's waking up your kids and that can definitely be tough tough. I mean, if he was waking up my little boy every night and then I had a puppy to try and get to bed and a child to try and get to bed, that would definitely make things even tough. more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say try and incorporate some more formal training that's going to involve mental stimulation into your day so that that can help wear him out mentally, not only physically, um, would be one thing that you could try for sure. Next thing I would ask is, do you have any place that you could put him that the family couldn't hear him bark? I mean, that would be, um, I don't know your housing situation or whatever else, but is if there's any place, whether that be maybe the garage, if that's climate controlled well enough or something to that effect to where he could have. We, I mean, we've even put dogs in our back closet of the house. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's not it's pretty well insulated. You know, there's the clothes in the closet that are creating more mm -hmm. sound dampening. Um, it's still, you know, air conditioned and heated, but it's so far removed that you just can't hear them cry it out and they can get over it. And then they can learn, Hey, I've got enough bladder control at six months old and I don't need this 2am, 3am let out. And yeah. they, and we can break the cycle. 
you can get there, but I can tell you right now, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. And ultimately what we need to do is find a place where he can learn that crying it out in the middle of the night is not going to get him anything anymore. Yes. Great question. I salute you and your Keep us posted. Um, You can definitely check us out on Patreon. We kind of gave that link here a little bit ago. But uh, if you check us out there too, you can continue to update us on progress. This is one that's going to take a little bit to get through. You have to be as determined and persistent as your puppy. You can do it. I have faith in you. If you've made it this far, you can keep going. (laughs) Next question, which I like this one a lot from Cold Kepler. Or Cole D. Kepler? Yeah, probably. On Instagram. So one of your previous videos with Thunder, you said that you guys have two training sessions with his meals, but then said he trains all day. Is that other training that is not his meals? Is that like socialization and like watching other dogs work? Thanks for the awesome content. That is a fantastic question and one that I have a really, really easy answer for. And it's kind of an exciting one. Cat put in a ton of time um, and shot a video for you guys that is a day in the life of a puppy potty training. So she starts from first thing in the morning, shows absolutely everything he did throughout the entire day. The only thing that was not videoed was his time spent in a crate. So there wasn't a camera sitting on him watching him in a crate. I mean, we did not really need to put out a 24-hour video. So there's some time lapse and some other things going on in there. But it shows everything that he did throughout the entire day from pottying to eating to training sessions to playing to back out to potty to back to playing to back to the crate time to more food to training to all all of it all day long. Um, that video should be going out here within the next week. week. I mean, there's editing time and we've got a lot of videos coming out, so it takes time for all of them to roll out. But but if you make soon. sure that you guys are subscribed, I want to point out one thing right now that 72% of the people that watch our videos do not subscribe. So if you're one of the 72%, let's change that statistic. Hit the subscribe button. Um, it really helps us out. And I did want to mention, so yes, we typically do two training sessions with him a day, morning meal, evening meal, but life is crazy sometimes and hectic. And sometimes he just gets a free meal. He's very food motivated and very willing to work. So we understand that that's not going to be detrimental to his training and his work ethic. Uh, If you've got a puppy that isn't as willing to work for their food, you probably don't want to give them a free meal. Uh, but with thunder, we definitely can every once in a while as well as, um, same rules would apply. If he left any of it for any reason, it would get picked up and then he would get his next meal offering in the morning or the evening or whatever. Right. And then the last thing I wanted to mention with that, because people ask us this question all the time about the dogs that are in the kennel for training. So thunder lives in our house. He's our personal dog. You're going to get to see a day in the life of one of our puppies here very soon. Mm -hmm. But people ask that question about the dogs in the kennel for training. And they say, how much training time is he really getting? That sort of thing when they get dropped off. Well, we have formal training sessions just like Thunder does. uh, But there's also all of the non-formal training sessions and the expectations of obedience that we have for all of the dogs. So keeping the kennel quiet, having calm expectations when coming out of their runs without with going through doorways, with going down and interacting with the other dogs when they're waiting for their meals. All of those things are expectations and truly are part of their training, but it's not necessarily a formal training session. Correct. Absolutely. Next question from Lammy dot lamb, Lammy lamb, Lammy lamb on Lammy lamb on Instagram. (laughs) I like it. It's fun. It's, it's catchy. I have a nine week old lab puppy. I've been feeding my puppy four times a day one quarter of a cup each meal, which is half a cup for the day. Meal time is 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 Mm p.m. I feel like I'm not feeding him enough. Should he be eating more? And then there were a couple comments back and forth, and it came out that he's not getting a quarter of a cup four times a day. He's actually getting an eighth of a cup at each meal. So still a total of one half cup of food for the day. Mm Mm-hmm. So I wanted to answer this question because I definitely didn't want this one to get missed. First of all, I'm not sure what you're feeding exactly, but typically a half a cup of food for a dog in a day is not enough. 
So check out your food's packaging. I know we've talked about before, that's not always the golden rule of how much you should be feeding because we feed based on body condition. Um, But I would expect that that's not enough for your puppy. Well, we send our puppies home eating one cup of food in In the the morning morning and one cup of food in the evening of a large breed puppy food. Now, the large breed puppy food is a slight calorie restriction as far as the grand scheme of food goes because that's going to help prevent our large breed dogs from growing too fast. But still, they're eating two full cups of food when they go home at eight weeks from us. So that being said... We're also feeding twice a day, like Ethan mentioned. So the fact that you're still feeding 7 uh, a.m., 7 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., I would say try and move away from that feeding schedule as quickly as possible and get onto a twice-a-day feeding schedule. A, it's going to make your life easier, uh, as well as your puppy's going to feel a little more satisfied with a bigger meal at each of those times sure. instead of going, oh, that was just a snack. Four times a day isn't hurting anything other than your scheduling aspect of stuff, but Um, is, in our opinion, not necessary. As well as it doesn't sound like he's getting um, enough food. No, no, it definitely, uh, again, you can uh, throw down a comment or something like that or reach out to us on Patreon. But um, depending on what you're eating, it definitely does not sound like enough food. So the next question that I wanted to hit on from Madeline Root 216 on Instagram is... I have a one-year-old Vishla, and he sleeps in bed with us. We're getting a GSP puppy in July who will be sleeping in a kennel until she's older. Good plan. Uh, Is it okay to let them sleep together in the same kennel at night when we first bring her home to make her transition easier? Also, is it okay for them to share a kennel when I'm running errands around town? I work from home, so it's only about two to three hours that I'm gone. So... A couple things that you bring. That's a really good question and one that I think will probably be applicable for a lot of people. Yes. And that's why I was like, I want to answer this one. So first of all, it's great that you recognize that your brand new puppy probably isn't going to sleep in bed with you right away and you want to teach them crate training from the get-go. Great. Second of all, though, A, we don't really know how your one-year-old Vishla is going to feel about your new puppy. So we don't necessarily want to... (laughs) closet them together and say, figure it out. Um, so creating them <laughs> together wouldn't probably be what I would recommend. And even if they become 100% best buds, I would still create them separately so that when one of them is able to be out and about, and you have to create the other one, because there might be times where you need to create one and not the other. Um, you could develop a dependence upon each other. Yes. Almost like the litter mate issue that we've talked about before. We don't want them to become so codependent on each other uh, that separating them causes anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the last thing that I was just going to hit on was it sounds like, um, you know, you plan on creating them when you're going to have to run errands around town, but that's only for about two to three hours because you work from home. And we've had a lot of people reaching out recently, especially with all of the people that have been working from home recently, that, you know, their new puppy that they got at the beginning of our social distancing things uh, has now been out of the crate all the time for the last two months. And now they're getting ready to go back to work. And they're like, well, how do I start crate training them during the day? Because they fight it so much. They're great about crate training at night, but when it comes to daytime crate training, they throw a giant fit. They want to be out. They want the attention. So keep in mind that even though you're home and you're working from home all day long, it would be beneficial because Ethan and I, I mean, we work from home a lot of times, not just, um, you know, sometimes we're out training, sometimes we're out doing other things and running errands, but we are at home doing videos and paperwork and shipping a lot. And we still crate our puppy during that time uh, because A, I need to be able to focus on what I'm doing and not watch puppy have a potty accident. Well, and you'll get to see that in the video that we um, are putting together here, the day in the life of the puppy, but he gets crate time, he gets out time, he gets potty time, he gets play time, he gets training time. Yeah. All of those things are incorporated. So I would just make sure that your new puppy and even your older dog has some crate time while you're at home working on whatever you have to work on. So to keep them as comfortable in their crate as possible. Okay. Next question that I wanted to ask about or wanted to answer, excuse me, was from Moonbug95. 
just finished building a pigeon coop in our backyard for our future large Munsterlander puppy in August. Rock and roll. Will I need to fence the coop off from her play area? It is critter-proofed, so I don't think a dog could get in. Just wondering if she will learn to ignore pigeons or lose interest when training, or will I have other issues with having the coop in the backyard? Um, yeah, you're probably going to run into a few issues with having the coop in the backyard. I would do your best to separate it somehow. The The problem is any kind of fencing that you're going to have is going to, it's going to become a huge distraction as well as it's going to potentially develop neurotic behavior of constantly wanting to run out and look or point the birds or stare at the Not birds Not being able to focus on anything else, but zoom over to that pigeon coop and then just like point and stare and bark and get super sucked into the pigeon coop. If you can figure out how to um, put up some kind of visual blocker, that's going to be important. Now, the other side of it is eventually they could potentially learn, but it kind of depends on how you allow your dog to interact in those situations. So if the expectation is go out in the backyard and entertain yourself, well, your puppy's definitely going to do that. And part of that's probably going to involve watching and chasing and barking at, uh, if it's a Munsterlander, it'll probably do a little bit of barking. Um, it's, but it's going to be that behavior of goofiness, um, that is not ideal that can become neurotic. Um, if it's back there and you have the ability to really just come in and say, uh, nah, don't focus on that right now. Let's pull your focus back to what we're doing over here. It's not going to be that big of an issue. It, it all comes down to if entertain yourself is the the potential expectation of that backyard. And that in itself causes problems all the time. But this would definitely be one in the situation that would be, I would assume, one of the problems that develops. Yes. So our best advice would be try and quadrant it off from her play area, at least with a visual barrier of some kind. Next question from Mariah Connerly. On Instagram, and she was sneaky. She Uh-oh. put two in there. What? One. Yeah, yeah. One. You only get one question. If she only gets one, I'm asking her second question then. <laughs> you can ask all the questions. Okay, good. Okay. When bringing a new puppy into a house around nine weeks old, what is the best way in- to introduce them to my existing dog who's two years old who can sometimes be grumpy about personal space with other dogs? This is going to be a really, 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 really good situation to try and work through um, and to do it more on a cautiously standpoint. Um, But the key is going to be advocating for both of them. So the older dog says, man, I like my personal space. Kind of leave me be. You say to the puppy, hey, leave her. What's the older dog? Male, female? Older dog? Sometimes be crumpy. I don't know. Okay. So older dog. You can say, hey, puppy, leave the older dog alone. You know, she, he, whatever wants its own space. And then the same, you know, same goes vice versa. You have to say to the old dog, hey, hey, don't be a grump ass. You know, it's just a puppy. So you play that game both ways. And ultimately, if you can stay on top of that, it's going to prevent some issues um, that will occur. Now, then they will eventually learn to co-mingle together and figure out what that is without the potential problems that could arise from that early improper introduction. You just throw them together. They're going to figure it out, but we don't know what problems are going to be tied into that. Is, you know, the older dog going to end up biting the puppy and you end up with a vet visit and then a puppy that's scared to death of the older dog for months. Or any months, other dog. Or other dogs yeah. in general for months uh, until they figured out. So... Or worse, I mean, some freak thing happened, like get bit and injure their eye or their, you know, whatever, all kinds of things. Um, And the other side of it then, I mean, just you've got to advocate for both sides. And that's going to be the the path of least resistance when it comes to this introduction. And the fact that you already recognize that your other dog could be a little bit grumpy with other dogs getting into their personal space. You're prepared and you can anticipate that there's potential for issues so you can make sure you're monitoring those interactions very closely the next would be try and keep those introductions and their time together not in spaces that you would see as being able to be protected like 
not in the older dog's crate or on the older dog while it's laying on its dog bed, chewing on a bone. Let's not throw the puppy over there and see what happens. You know, I mean, it's um, bring them out into a big yard or a, something like that where they're both on leash and you can let them sniff each other and interact. And then if something starts to arise, you can pull them apart and say, hey, settle down, you two, whatever. And then the next question was, when bringing that new puppy home, is it best to section off a part of the house for that puppy to roam during playtime, or is it okay to let them free range with supervision? I've had multiple people tell me to section off parts of my house for it to roam in, but couldn't find what y'all had to say on the channel, but maybe I almost missed it. No, you probably, well, you might've missed it. I don't know if we've addressed this specifically, maybe in some other Yawas, Uh, but no, we wouldn't say, oh, set up the puppy corral f- so that your puppy can just hang out in your dining room or in your wherever space, your laundry yeah. room, because when they're doing that, they're going to have potty accidents. They're a nine-week-old puppy that's going to happen, and then you're not there to have a timely correction to say, hey, knock it off. Let's go outside. Um, or you see them acting like, oh, oh, they're kind of looking. Let's get outside before you have an accident, because you're just basically putting them in that space so that you can get other things done. If you're going to do that, it Just better be them. in a crate. Yep. Yeah. No, don't get us wrong. We section off parts of our house to an extent by closing you some doors. Probably see some baby gates. Yeah, the the baby That's gates back Aiden, there are, are more to keep Aiden from climbing up the stairs, <laughs> but uh, it also helps with puppies and the dogs. So, um, but we close doors and we say, okay, we want to kind of confine you more to this region, but. Um, it's not a it's not a tight area. You know, when the puppies are out and playing, they kind of need our attention, especially in the beginning stages. And if you don't have time, crate them. It's going to be a better idea. And then work time into your schedule to make sure that you have enough because puppies take a lot of time. But good question. It's a really good question. If you end up having issues, don't hesitate. Reach out on Patreon. We'd be happy to help you work through it. What do we um, got? Next Ooh, yeah. question is from Gretchen Miller Svitko on Facebook. When training a puppy basic obedience, they're currently nine weeks old. Is there mm-hmm. anything we should avoid teaching because it would interfere with or hinder hunting training later? I think that um, was a really good question. It's a really good question. And I don't honestly believe that there's anything that you could teach that would truly hinder hunting training down the road. But there are definitely things that you could teach that you would regret just from an overall livability standpoint down the road. Um, some of which would be teaching shake. Uh, shake can be a pretty pain in the butt behavior. Um, you're dressed up and you get shaked on and then your clothes are dirty or something along those lines. Um, speaking, speak, bark, whatever. That can be kind of a a bad one to teach. What else we got? Oh, I was just, I wasn't thinking of all the excessive parlor tricks that you could do, but I was thinking anything that you overdo can also become a bad thing in a sense of if you work on sit exclusively, sit can become the default for everything. Uh, We actually just, I think, did an Instagram live IGTV video with Thunder about this. Thunder was kind of auto sitting for everything pretty quickly. Yeah. So that was one thing I was going to mention. You can, anything you're overdoing, can be a bad thing. Just like if you play retrieving games constantly, you can wear your puppy out and they get bored of the game. Uh, ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, feeding. So this could be one that would actually hurt for down the road. If you don't put a good emphasis on teaching a dog to eat, that can be detrimental to hunting and traveling for hunting down the road. Um, if we don't have, if you see any amount of, of picking, we talked about this even earlier in this episode. We I don't know if it was this... Yeah, we yeah, talked about today yeah, yeah, about yeah. eating habits. So, um, but if we have poor eating habits starting to develop, you need to nip those in the bud, pull the food, teach them that when you put food down, it needs to be eaten. And that's, you're going to, you'll realize down the road that when you go on a traveling trip and they're worked up or excited or overwhelmed by the travel itself, they'll still be willing to eat. So, um, and that's going to prevent you from losing weight and having other recovery issues when you're on a hunting trip. Yeah. And I think the one last thing that I would maybe caution is playing retrieving games with tennis balls. Yep. That can develop pretty hard mouths with just this rolling, chewing, biting mentality that happens with tennis balls. 
that and when the puppy comes back they like to throw, throw the ball because mm-hmm. they, they bounce because they bounce and they're you know exciting and it continues the game uh so we usually try and avoid using tennis balls for retrieving great question it's a great question this is a really great question from barberlicious i like it on instagram you had to check barber. me barber oh uh, i didn't know if it was like a like a barber shop or like that's a barber's like a type of clothing right I think so. Okay, whatever. Continue. Hey, at Standing Stone Kennels, I have been training hey, my... Hey, Barbalicious. <laughs> I have been training my pup with your trained retrieve videos. Awesome. Awesome. She is two days into the collar condition to fetch. She reaches for the object, but it's slow, and it almost... Uh, oh, hold on, lost my line. She reaches for the object, but is slow about it and is almost just trying to get me to pop the object in her mouth without her having to reach. Sure. The fact that you're recognizing that is huge because a lot of people don't notice that and they are helping the dog. I'd say that's when, when we're working on fetch work. That's one of the number one comments that I make to people when we're watching don't feed videos. It to them. Yeah, it's like, hey, stop feeding it to them. Yep. Continue. So the fact that you're actually recognizing that is awesome. Um, without having her reach. I believe she is just being sensitive and a bit of a baby about the pressure. She has been this way throughout the whole process. I'm wondering if you have any tricks to get her to grab the object faster. Thanks. So we definitely have lots of tricks. And I will tell you the fact that you're two fetch training, kind of having an understanding of what's going right and what maybe needs adjustment and doing this all on your own with our videos is Absolutely fantastic. And that's what we like to see. That's why we put out all these videos for people to be able to work through some of these things at home. So I will tell you right now, the uh, trained retrieve, formal retrieving work, is the hardest learning curve of any of the formal bird dog training work out there. It's It's the biggest learning curve because every single dog goes through differently. Um, now, granted, it's a similar step process. There's some similar stages and some similar stuff, but I don't believe that I could say I've had two that were exactly the same. The reps change, the sessions change, the things you have to put emphasis on or take emphasis away from all change all the time. Now, um, we need to know more information to truly be able to help you with this one. And this would be where um, jumping on Patreon and being able to shoot your videos and send them to us is going to be very beneficial because I need to see what your dog's actual reaction is as well as we need to know, are you using continuous stimulation? Are you using the NIC? Have you attempted to proof the collar? How many days have you started working on collar conditioning to fetch? Definitely sounds like there's an understanding there. And if there's an understanding and we're holding out, we need to find a way to help through that. But um, like I said, I kind of need to know some of the other answers to my questions before we can truly give you advice down that direction, but. But it also looks like you've got a really good handle on reading your training sessions, which mm-hmm. is really important to being able to train your own dog. So. Hit next, us up there. We'd be happy to help you. Next question from Meka Medeiros on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I have a Brittany Spaniel that makes a lot of false points from time to time. Okay. Any way of fixing that? So one way that we like to work through this, because we get a lot of young puppies in for training that have put a ton of emphasis on sight pointing. Uh, They spend a lot of time in the backyard at their parents' house and they're pointing squirrels and they're pointing butterflies and they're pointing bugs and they're pointing chichi birds. We actually did a video on this today. Yes, we did. Um, And so they put so much emphasis on sight pointing. Coming to a YouTube near what happens is they get in the field and then they start seeing things. They see this blade of grass twitch or this leaf flutter and they're like, oh, something to point. Um, So it's most- Our first dog, when we took her to the field, because I had done all of these things, I tell you right now, we spent a lot of time winging on a string and some different games in that direction, including the, the first pheasant that I shot over her. I actually took that dead pheasant and I put it in the tall grass and I brought her downwind and tried to get her to point it again. Um, these are all things that you really shouldn't be doing. Um, some of them that you shouldn't do at all. Some of them you should put very little to very little emphasis on at all. Um, but been there, done that. 
and got the t-shirt, okay? So we understand. Now, on that first hunting trip, she pointed cows. She pointed butterflies. She, I don't even know if she ended up pointing a bird. Not on the first, not on the first. She was out there having fun though. Yeah. You know, I mean, but, um, and that was all because of a huge portion of emphasis that we put on sight pointing. So to move on with how you can fix that. So first of all, a lot of emphasis put on sight pointing, whether you intentionally did it or didn't intentionally do it. And your dog just gets a lot of time to stare out the window or to point light in the house or point butterflies in the backyard. Um, the other thing is some dogs are just very, very cautious naturally. So they, Mm -hmm. you know, start learning how to point with their nose and then they're like, everything. I, sh- I just don't want to mess up. So I'm going to point everything. So I don't mess up. Um, and they just have that very cautious mentality. The way that we like to work through this is knowing exactly where our birds are in a field. Yes. Because then I can ignore all of the other false pointing things. So bird launchers are a great way to do that because I know exactly where the birds are. Even if I'm not necessarily using pigeons, I can use quail. I can use chucker in those launchers. If you get the larger launchers, which we don't really use, you can use pheasants or something in those, uh, DT systems launchers is what I'm talking about. We use their BL 509s and the 505s are the ones that don't have the transmitter. The Um, 500 series launcher. Yes. And so we use those launchers a lot of times to get dogs past the false pointing. So I know exactly where my birds are set and your dog comes out and they false point something. I leave them. I just keep yeah, walking. Just keep walking. No acknowledgement yep. at all. I don't say leave it. I don't say, come on. I don't, I don't encourage that by saying, whoa, I just move on and they'll go, oh, wait, check it out. Think about it. Nope. I don't really smell anything. I guess I'm wrong. Move on. And then when they do lock up on point on the bird that we know is there, we reinforce that by launching the bird. And if they're ready for them to be shot for them, we shoot it for them. If they're not ready for them to be shot over them, we let them chase, we give them praise. Um, but we're basically reinforcing when they do it right and giving them no feedback when there's no bird there. A lot of times people don't know where their birds are. So knowing where you put your launchers is also important. Um, so that you're not like, Oh, she pointed, that must be where my launcher is. Oh wait, no, I don't remember where I put my launcher. And then you're still putting emphasis on them pointing nothing. So be very sure where your launchers are and where your birds are at. When we're out in the field, I kind of do like a a triangulating process where I go, okay, so we're kind of in line with this tree and that fence post and this clump of something, something over here. I've, I've got a pretty good general idea. And then I start This is the specific area. I know I put it in. I can tell. um, And I try and pick something that when I walk into an area, it's the first thing that catches my eye. Personally, I go, okay, yeah, that's going to be easy to pick out when I come back through here. And then that's where we put, where they put the birds at. Yeah. Try not to actually utilize flags or survey tape or anything that the dog's going to be able to see or pick out as a visual because they'll learn just as fast how to point that um, flag or anything else from a visual standpoint, like that's already going on. Yes. Um, next question that I wanted to get to was this one's about thunder. So we'll talk about this one. Ryan Walner in the case of thunder, was that your first choice in the litter? And if it was what stood out about him in particular, also, did you guys go into that breeding with said parents knowing you really wanted a pup out of those two, or did he stand out as a truly good pick for your program? It's a, it's a really good question. So I would say we do breedings um, expecting to see a dog that could potentially be a dog that we're trying to keep out of the breeding. It's always our goal. We're um, always trying to improve the breed, which includes adding to our breeding program to yes. continue breeding. Yes. So we're always looking now. And we did that breeding knowing that we wanted to pull something else into our kennel because that was an outside breeding. Mm -hmm. It was a frozen breeding. So it was definitely one that involved a little more expense, a little more um, process involved with doing a frozen breeding. But we reserve on our litters the right for first male and first female pick so that we have the opportunity to evaluate. We rarely are going into a situation going, I have to have a male have to have a female. I have to have, have to have, have to have. We're just keeping our eyes open for something that looks like it's going to um, tip the scale in the direction of better than what we already have. 
Now, there's a lot of things that change from little puppy on and ultimately every dog that we keep from those programs, you know, where they turn out to be fantastic hunting dogs, they just may not be breed worthy. And this is something that we've had conversation with a lot of people more recently is that not all dogs should be bred. Um, but you know, with our program, we're always looking for that. And I would say so far thunder, uh, falls into the category of, uh, looking really good. He's doing a lot of things that say, you know, wow. I He's mean, doing a lot of the things that we look for in our next best dog. The dogs that we're trying to improve the breed from just impressing us with training and being focused um, and very trainable to picking up on things very quickly. I mean, in a week, crate training has gone from this is rough to perfect. this is easy. Yeah, uh, He has had I think two accidents in the house. One was on day one and one was on our Instagram TV. Uh-huh. Um, yep. So two accidents in the house and that's been a while since his last one. So being very clean in the house, very and clean in his crate. Those things come down to definitely our fault too. You know, it's like I trusted him too much and was paying attention to Aiden, helping him get dinner or something, you know, something like that, not paying attention to the puppy, which is exactly what we preach that you should not be doing. Um, but life happens. Yeah. We all make mistakes. I and mean, roll that newspaper up and then start knocking myself on the head. Exactly. Um, as well as, um, he's just super easy with Aiden, very sweet and, uh, can settle down when we're hanging out in the backyard. He's not constantly busy, busy, busy into things. Um, structurally we are not show breeders, so I'm not breeding show quality dogs. We don't do that, but we are still looking for structure to be as well put together as possible. And, um, to the best of my ability, he looks like he's built well and moves well and carries himself well. And there's not anything that stands out to me at this point that says he's got something wrong with him that, uh, ultimately would be uh, no go from a breeding standpoint. So all of the things look good so far. And then, um, on top of that, the little boy's pretty, I mean, he's just a good looking boy. And, that is something that also goes uh, hand in hand with what we're looking for. You know, we want uh, to be able to say just like anybody, man, I really like the way that dog looks. Um, is the bottom of the list, but it is still on the list. Next question from Next. Jennifer Bish Next. on Facebook. We will pick up our puppy, a female, GSP puppy, a female in July when she's eight weeks old. What are some of the first things we should do with her when we get her home? What are the first things we should work on? That's a great question. And we have our playlists that I wanted to mention. Standingstonekennels.com slash links. Yes. And that's what you should be working on. You can follow Quest series. You can follow Rogue series. And they show in those playlists, step-by-step order of what we recommend doing with your puppy and becoming proficient at each step before moving on to the next one, no matter what the age of your puppy is. Um, But it all starts with getting them acclimated to your house and charging the clicker. The next thing that I would look at is incorporating some of the new videos that we're putting out. They kind of fill in the gaps of any holes that are in those training sessions with Quest and Rogue. Um, Some things like um, trimming nails, which is in there. But uh, we've got a... potty training video that's coming out. We've mentioned a couple times, but some of those things uh, are going to be a little better coverage on that aspect of training. Yeah. We're starting to fill in the blanks with things that people keep asking us about with thunder. So mm-hmm. next question, which is similar. So I'm going to just touch on it quickly from Ashley Befelt Creedon on Facebook. She's one of our top fans. Woo-hoo. Thanks, Ashley. I have a four-month-old GSP that I'm training to be a bird dog. She is doing really well with recall on the collar, but I'm unsure where to go next with her training. Do I need to teach skills in a particular order? Is there an order that I that you recommend? This is the first bird dog I'm training on my own, and I just am concerned I may end up confusing her. So great question. Um, check out those playlists. We have those playlists, and they start from eight weeks to almost a year with most of the dogs that we're working with. Um, and so you can follow along with that. But if this is your first bird dog and you're kind of needing some direction with some of that training, checking out our Patreon community also would be a really great resource for you because you can say, Hey, I just finished recall with the collar. Now what? And we can say, okay, Ashley, we got to watch your video. We saw how your puppy was doing. Try this next. And that's 
standing or no, no, no. This is, oh, I'll get it. Let me try. Let me try. www.patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. You got it. Yes. See, I can learn too. <laughs> but that would be a really great, good option for you, Ashley. Um, there was another question that I had to ask and we're running out of time, so I have to find it. Yeah, we've got time for about one more. So look quickly. Oh, this one. Marcus Theodore on Facebook. My wife and I picked up our Maverick boy last Saturday thinking he was eight weeks and ready to go. Well, little did we know he was only six weeks old. Anyways. I talked to somebody today about a puppy that went home that was six weeks old. Okay. Maybe it's this guy. Maybe. Anyway, he's had two rounds of shots now and he was doing super awesome with potty training. Now it almost seems like he's already marking and going in the house or maybe it's just everyone not being on the same page or I think he may just be getting too much water. Should we just give him water periodically during the day and after he gets a good drink, take it away, then take him out every 15 minutes or so. I take his water away after his morning training session and then after his evening training session and meal. Thank you. So, Marcus, sorry that there was any confusion with um, picking up your puppy and age-wise with your breeder. Typically, we send our, well, we always send our puppies home at eight weeks old. Each state has different requirements on the age of the puppies that they need to be before they're sent home. Um, So, that's definitely something when you're looking for a puppy that I would research and look into a little bit more closely so that there's no confusion. I'm glad that he's healthy and doing fine though and had his shots. Um, he may not be marking if he's going in the house very frequently. He could have a UTI. That's typically something. And if a- by may not be marking, she means 100% is not marking. He's not old enough to have learned that He behavior. has very little bladder control. Um, and puppies are very susceptible to UTIs, little boys, little girls, either way. Um, because when they go out to potty, they get so close to the ground. A lot of times they touch the ground and can collect bacteria very easily and get those UTIs. Yeah. So, and the other side of it is eight-week-old puppies have very little bladder control. Um, how old is this puppy now? Because he said picked eight, it up. He said weeks. he was eight weeks or no. He's had two rounds of shots, so I don't know. So that would Maybe be nine at weeks. least, yeah, he's be eight to nine weeks old. So um, at that point, I mean, you should be headed in the direction of bladder control. But if you watch, and I, there's been a ton of questions that fall into this. So we did the day in the life of a puppy. If you watch that, you'll get to see we're doing a training session and offer water. And then playtime involves potty break, potty break, potty break, potty break, potty break. I mean, it's. You usually set a timer for 10 to 15 minutes. And then as that changes, the time goes up a little bit. But for the most part, it's every 10 to 15 minutes that we're letting him out or he could potentially have a potty accident. You know, it's um, so expect that. Now, if it seems like a lot of pee uh, or it's really, really, really clear pee, you're probably on the edge of too much water. And doing like you're saying, um, putting a bowl down, Given access to water, then picking it up is uh, on regulated times is definitely the better way to go than constant access all the time. You just wouldn't know when they'd need to go to potty. And then I just have to ask this one last question, and I don't care if Ethan gets mad at me. From Meg <laughs> Freudenstein on Facebook. Hey, Kat. Why I yada. <laughs> Hey, Kat and Ethan, you guys have been super helpful with training my eight-month GSP. She's got into a bad habit of jumping up on strangers, as one of my housemates encourages the behavior. Just wondering, what are your best training tips for stopping avoiding this behavior? Wrong button. No. Which one did I hit? Wah, 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 that one? No. Oh. The right. There it is. Got it. He shouldn't be in charge of the buttons, but... You need to have a serious conversation with your roommate uh, because you can do all that you can do and you can really work on good, obedient, well-behaved behaviors. But if your roommate is continuing to encourage and reinforcing the bad Mm -hmm. behaviors, you're never going to get there. You're going to be fighting a losing battle. um, And ultimately, this is your dog that you want to be well-trained and meet other people in a calm, good citizen type of manner. So, Meg, my recommendation is get a um, a little like water squirt bottle, right? Yes. Fill it with yes. some. Do this. Fill Do it this. with and some. And video it. Yes, please just set this up to video. But um, fill it with some water. Just 
cold, regular, plain water. And then anytime your roommate encourages the jumping up, a little pss, pss in the face, you know, just like. In your roommate's face. In, in your roommate's face. Nothing to do with your dog, right? So, pss, pss, and then they're going to go, oh, whoa, what was that for? Well, you need to stop encouraging my dog to jump up on you. I'm trying to teach him good behaviors. And then like, oh, yeah, whatever, bra. And then here comes. <laughs> Making assumptions here, of course. Whatever. Whatever. Um, but every time it happens, just pss, pss, it'll be a really, really good form of um, positive, positive punishment. punishment that says. What you're doing is not okay. And stop it. And positive punishment, if you didn't know, is to weaken behaviors. So we want the roommate's behavior of encouraging the jumping up to get less and less. Yep. So this is how that works. So, and the, the average human's uh, mental capacity is drastically more than a dog. So it should take only one or two reps before the, <laughs> the behavior is extinguished. And in a little more seriousness, if you can get your roommate on board with helping you out with this, uh, then things like place training, collar conditioning to place, some healing behaviors, and eventually collar conditioning to a heel. Then when you're out and about meeting new people, you can have your dog in a heel position and hold them to that heel position. Or you can have people coming over to visit you and have them get on their dog bed and hold them to that dog bed. Even when that excitement kind of amps them up and they want to jump on people, they don't have that opportunity. Now, I will say that um, our dogs are just as bad about this as a lot of other people's, and that's because we end up at a lot of different shows. And at the shows... Um, we meet a lot of people like your roommate. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're in some of the shows, there's upwards of 20, 30, 40,000 people that are rolling through there, and they're saying, oh, hey, puppy, and I've got my head turned this way for a second. I look back, and my dog's jumping on someone, you know, it's like, oh, it's okay. And then you're I like, have dogs. Stop. I love yeah, it. I, I love dogs. Um, and it's just a matter of saying, no, stop. We're trying to develop good habits. And if every new person that the dog meets, it's okay for them to jump on them. It's um, very confusing for them to understand what are really yeah. the requirements. So our dogs do it a little bit. They definitely don't jump on any of us. And that's because they understand the rules and the rules are that they can't jump on us, but new people allow them to jump on them. So it's a, it's a difficult game, but the more strict that you can be with that, the better off you're going to be in the long run. So great question. Please send us a video of you squirting your roommate with water. Please. Thank you guys for watching. I'm Kat, the dog trainer. I'm the guy with the pink gun and the pink koozie and the pink koozie. We appreciate all your questions. We appreciate all of you that watch and, uh, we- would really appreciate if a few more of you would subscribe. (laughs) Yes, we would. Guys, we will see you next week. Uh, We appreciate the questions. There's a lot of appreciation going on here. And uh, next week, keep an eye on the socials for the Yawa post. That's where you're going to throw these questions in and we will get to them. We'll get to as many of them as we can. As many of them as we can. Peace.